Welcome everyone to the SC Mafia Strength and Conditioning Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Ryder. Together we'll speak with Springfield College's many strength and conditioning alumni and hear about their experiences firsthand. The goal is to bring together the great strength coaches Springfield College has produced into one open forum. That being said, hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to the SC Mafia Strength and Conditioning Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Ryder, and my guest today is Mikey Blazjowski. Mikey is a guy who helped me get my start at Springfield College and really helped start up some good conversations regarding sports science and has now taken that and transitioned into a role with the Indianapolis Colts of the NFL doing sports science and sports performance kind of as a, a dual role. So Mikey, go on ahead and introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, please. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Blazjowski, currently on staff with Indianapolis Colts on the sports performance staff there. Have my hands in everything a little bit there with the sports performance side of things and uh, sports science side of things. I uh, got my undergrad and master's degree, both from Springfield College. I was a member of the football team at Springfield. I uh, was a GA there uh, working with football, women's across track and field, specifically sprinters and hurdlers, and then also working with swimming and diving a little bit. And then before I was a GA at Springfield, kind of had a multitude of internships that kind of led me to where I am today, working with UMass football, Vanderbilt football, University of Minnesota and their football program, University of Tennessee, and then a brief stint as a training camp intern in the XFL. All right, so getting right into it, you've done it all kind of, you've done a lot of time at the collegiate level, and now you're at the professional level. What do you think is the is the biggest part of the, the transition between the collegiate level and the professional level? What are their differences, similarities? What have you learned? Things like that. Absolutely. There's a lot of differences between being in the college level and then being in the professional level. And I'm very blessed to have kind of jumped right to the professional level in a seasonal spot with the Colts uh, from being a GA at Springfield last year. Um, I mean, some of the differences that goes into it is definitely like the age groups that you work with. Whereas in college level, you got four years to develop your athletes and sometimes five to six, depending on red shirts and COVID years and everything like that. Whereas now at the college or uh, professional level, you got to develop guys right now. Whereas, yeah, you may have guys on contracts, but it's kind of a right now mode and right now focus, get guys what they need. And it's a lot more individualized with that. But even with us in pro football, we're getting rookies who are 20, 21, some guys who are 24, 26, uh, depending on their COVID years in college and everything. And then you got working with guys who are 28, 29, who've had three or four years in the league. And sometimes working with guys who are 38, 38, older guys in the league who just have had a lot of wear and tear on their body having long careers in the NFL and you got to start developing what those guys need and kind of what keeps them healthy and keeps them on the field and I mean even just like the time constraints and everything whereas like with us in the NFL the PA NFL PA and the CBA is kind of very black and white with the amount of time we can have with the guys whether that being the offseason in the OTAs on season uh, OTAs in the offseason program or whether that be during training camp and everything. So like our time with the athletes sometimes can be limited and whereas certain times of the year are optional for guys and where there are certain times of the year where we can't have contact where it's a discretionary period like it is and NCAA in certain weeks of the time of the year, but it's more black and white here just because of the PA and everything. And then I think even too, just like working with your athletes, like you want to develop good people no matter where you are, but you have four years to develop good people when you're at the college level where it's, here the pros you kind of got to start developing it's a personal relationship 
but it's also kind of a business relationship because there's a lot more of a business aspect to professional sports of it. Whereas you want to, it's a win. Obviously athletics is all about winning, but it's kind of, you're always in a win now mode, especially at the professional level. And you got to develop the guys who are there with what they need exactly at what time they need. So things obviously get a lot more individualized than they would at the college level in terms of programming. Yeah. I think one of the, the biggest things I noticed transitioning to professional sports was that the older guys, the guys that have years under their belt that have notched, you know, some big league time or some really high level ball, uh, they are really invested in their process. And that might not align necessarily with the traditional strength and conditioning philosophies, but it's what they believe they need. And you kind of got to work around that so that you can start to develop a relationship with them so that you can down the line, give them a suggestion and they don't want to bite your head off or ignore you. Uh, there's a lot more tact that you have to go in with those guys that have a lot of experience under them. And that, I think for me, that makes me a better professional. It makes me have to be able to explain what we're doing and really know my stuff so that uh, we can develop that relationship and keep it going because it's there's a long year there's long off-season periods and you know you you want a relationship with guys as they get older it, it helps you in your career it helps them and it's just beneficial for your organization as you watch them grow so uh that that professional aspect or business aspect it's at every step of the way it's not just with the you know talking with the front office it's it goes all the way down to the to the athletes and how you interact with them as well no doubt with that you know we, we talked about the investment that the athletes are taking in their development how invested is the organization or the sport as a whole in creating changes based on things that you do on your day-to-day -day or week-to-week or month-to-month -month with sports science or any related performance data? I think it goes across the board with everything. Like, and even this just isn't sports science in general, no matter at the college level, professional level, you got to get the proper stakeholders on board with what you're doing and kind of why you're using the technology. Are you using it to just collect the data or are you using it to make impactful change? Whereas, all right, am I collecting this? Do the athletes see that I'm, I'm actually making change with it and actually doing something with it? Or am I just getting a bunch of numbers on them where it's like, all right, when we come around and test on the force plate, like, all right, they don't really care about their jump number. Or am I actually going on, all right, Shane, hey, like, hey, here's your last jump. Your peak power's down a little bit. All right, you have an eccentric deficiency here. Let's attack this with your strength program or with your program in the weight room. All right, hey, we need to supplement a little extra more stuff if you have that eccentric deficiency. So it's kind of going on that of like, you got to get the stakeholders involved, make sure it's invested. And you, I think it's more so like the investment comes like, especially at the professional level, there's a lot of money to go around. So like you can get your hands on pretty much tools that you need but also like you got to know that you're making good use of the money for the organization to actually get impactful change. But I think the biggest investment you got to make is in the people around you of getting athletes to buy into it, getting the 
other people and other departments in the organization to buy into it and actually see the changes that you can make. Whereas if I'm getting the wrong stakeholders involved in my numbers or if I'm getting the wrong stakeholders involved in the data technology or anything like then I'm not making change and then I'm not making an impact. So you got to pick that selective group you want to get invested into it. So that way they can actually see the change that's occurring from the technology that you got. Hope that answers the question. For sure. So the things that you're doing to implement those changes or get those stakeholders involved and get them understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it and getting them to reinvest into the, whether it be a sports science initiative or a sports performance initiative, what kind of conversations have you been having? What kind of value do you think your set of eyes coming from the collegiate sector have you added to the Colts support staff with your expertise? I think it's just kind of the ability to see things through a different lens of having a vast variety of experiences at the college level and kind of very minimal professional experience in terms of, all right, I had a short stint in the XFL. It was like a five-week training camp internship, but seeing things through kind of a different lens, I think helps uh, with that and kind of adding value, but even just adding value to help analyze data in a different way where we can actually find things that are important to drive meaningful change in the organization, in the athletes, and in our department to be able to say, hey, we found something, let's act on it. Or, hey, we found something, like this is helping us greatly. Like, let's continue to do this and figure out what is going on. Why is this change happening? Why is this change happening? Why is it, is it good change or is it bad change? All right. Well, if it's a good change, let's continue it. If it's a bad change, all right, let's figure out what we need to figure out and why it was a bad change and just kind of seeing that just through that, I guess, analytical uh, lens where it's like I'm a very analytical person. It's just the types of my mindset where it's like I'm analyze everything, just thinking numbers, and that's kind of the way <laughs> I've always done things, and that's kind of, I think, why I fell into, fell into sports science a little bit is just falling, having that analytical mindset and just being in love with numbers um, but again, it's just, you got to figure out what is actually driving change. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it insightful? Can it help us do what we need to do? And ultimately at the end of the day, that's win on Sundays. Yeah. I think, uh, a lot of great strength coaches or those that we would consider great strength coaches. They, they're really just very analytical people. And I think that the, the divide that has arisen between like the, traditional kind of periodized strength and conditioning coach, the classic strength and conditioning coach, and those who get into sports science, it's really not as big of a divot as, as we sometimes act like it is. You know, it, it's a very tedious job at times yes. on both ends, and that might be scheduling you know a five minute chat with a guy to get his feedback and on the traditional side of things you know see how he's feeling just creating a relationship with him on the sports science side that may just translate to uploading data for 20 minutes 30 minutes out of your day and that may take away from the relationship for a little bit but it doesn't make you as it doesn't make you any less of a coach to be analyzing something different you're just analyzing something different and as multifaceted as performance is you can't just throw a sticker on it and say this is strength and conditioning you know it's there's no doubt there's a lot of different routes you can take 
So the, the data that you're collecting, what are you kind of doing with it? What kind of conversations are you having with the athletes? What kind of things are you looking at for the NFL athlete? Like what is making them tick? So, I mean, from us, a lot of like our sports science initiatives come from our in, internal and external load monitoring using our heart rate monitors and using our GPS monitor, using GPS, which is we use Connexon uh, for our GPS system. And it's figuring out like, all right, we look at, we're looking at ACWRs for guys. All right. Hey, you're kind of in a higher zone. Like, all right, how you feeling? Hey, yesterday you had a great day of high speed running or you had a great day of mechanical load on your body how you're feeling like are you taking time to go into the training room to get extra treatment like are you taking time to actually find time and recovering yourself and i think that's where we go with it with our conversations to make sure guys are staying healthy and i think that's the biggest thing is like you guys aren't available to be on the field and it's your best guys that aren't available on the field then your chances of winning are going down and i think that's the biggest thing in a lot of our conversation is just to keep our guys healthy and as fresh as possible. So that way come Sunday, we're playing at a high level. For those people that want to start thinking with the sports science lens, with the performance lens, getting that more global view, what do you think are some sports science initiatives or like big rocks that the traditional strength coach might need to be well-versed in going forward or the the young coach might want to dive into early and and where do you think that they should start to think about adding a a true sports scientist to their department i mean i think just in terms of sports science as a whole I guess, general term, I mean, I kind of think of it as like everything we do is sports science, you know, we are scientists, just kind of everything we do is an experiment, whether it's a program we write, like we don't know exactly how each athlete's going to respond. And I think with sports science, it allows us to quantify everything as best as that we can, we can do to kind of start creating that hard number and not even say a hard number, but like we can actually see what is going on, what's changing and where areas are improving, what areas are suffering, what areas are staying the same so that we can actually dial in on the dosage that is needed to drive performance change. And I think the biggest thing is for traditional strength coaches, I think you got to understand GPS data a little bit too. I think that helps in terms of preparing your athletes for the demands they're going to see in their sport. I mean, I think that's your baseline for helping to reverse engineer your sport a little bit. You know, I got athletes going into training camp. All right, they're going to see X amount of high speed running, X amount of mechanical load, X amount of distance. All right, in terms of their training effect for these days, are going to be all right, X, Y, and Z. All right, how can I take that number and reverse engineer? All right, how I can slowly start building my athletes' physical preparation program to get to what they do. So, like, I think the days of traditional conditioning and days of just running sprints until we get into a lactic bath or kind of getting out phase in training conditioning where it's now it's like all right we understand what goes into the sport from all this technology we're getting from especially with the gps data so now we can actually know what a hard practice looks like what a medium practice looks like what an easy practice looks like but also what is going on on the field physically and if you're lucky if you have a sport that have heart rate monitors internally too. So like Connor and I can both go out on the field, have a hundred yards of high speed running each, but his peak heart rate was at 175 and my peak heart rate is once 
was only at like 155, we're going to have two different training responses to that where that's more fatiguing on him, where it's not that fatiguing on me. So I think you know exactly how your athletes are responding. In terms of also like in the weight room, I think having DBT in a force plate is definitely huge, especially with uh, velocity-based training. Like you can meet your athletes where you're at that day instead of just having to prescribe percentages. I'm not saying prescribed percentages are bad. I think you just know in research that your daily training max can fluctuate. Like I think it's anywhere from like 10 to like 20 and plus 20 plus percent uh, on that end. And I think with DBT, all right, you can start targeting specific zones where you need your athletes at for that day and saying like you get a guy who's fatigued, but you know, you need to hit a max strength stimulus that day. All right. Hey, we can get you in a safe zone where we don't have to push that, say that higher percentage where, all right, Hey, you're 80%, maybe you're 100% today. Let's drive that stimulus up. I think even too, in terms of the force plate, like I think there's a lot of valuable in that of seeing our asymmetries and guys, all right, how, and I think even just balancing eccentric and concentric deficiencies in guys. And I think a lot of more times you see guys are eccentrically deficient. All right, well, how's that going to translate to the field? Is he going to, since he can't produce that eccentric force, or he has an eccentric deficiency on one side, how's his ability to change direction? How's his ability to accelerate, deaccelerate? Like those things all play into everything. And I think you don't want to get paralysis by analysis and have too much data, but you want to have enough data's in your uh, enough data in your system so that you can start quantifying and actually finding things that get your results and get you change down the road to help you your obviously increase performance. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's especially in professional level like we see Connor like it's, it's all about winning um I think in terms of when you need to hire a true sports scientists on staff I mean I think that's I think that's kind of kind of a gray area question of like when you actually need to hire that I mean obviously if you have the resources is great because I think you can actually dedicate one if you have the resources great because you can start dedicating one person to that to actually handle all that Whereas other people can start focusing on other things like if you're a strength conditioning coach, like back at Springfield, uh, when I was up starting GPS, where it's like, all right, I had to coach all my groups, write programs, but then I also had to go get GPS reports going. Whereas if I had, say, someone to do that on my back end for me, it's like, all right, I can have someone do all the data management for me, but at the end of the day, I can go see the data and understand it. I think it allows me to. Other people, if you have sports scientists on staff, to go focus on other things that you need change, where it's like, all right, if you got a head strength conditioning coach, he only has to see the end result of the, say, daily report of like, what, all right, what do I actually need to know on there? Whereas he can start focusing on other things that need to be changed, where it's like, all right, getting other guys, writing their programs, which you're especially if you need got a team that has a lot of individuals who need individualized programs, like, all right, I can actually focus on that stuff instead of getting taking time away from data management. I know that's a, kind of a long-winded answer, but... I think that's kind of went on a tangent there. Yeah, but you're you're so right, right? And I think um, VBT is a, a really good kind of analogy for this because you know you can prescribe percentages, and nobody's saying that prescribing percentages is bad. There, there's definitely a time and place to be doing any type of uh, percentage for for your main lifts, you know, but when you add that layer of vbt it doesn't necessarily have to add anything on the back end it could if you want to but it really just gives you more perspective on 
where is this guy at today? What stimulus does he need today? Am I going to fatigue him more than I should be when we're preparing to win a game? You know, so I think people forget that professional sports seasons are a lot longer than just 16 games on Saturday and then playoffs. Like they're, they're playing football every single day and almost year round, they're doing some kind of activity. So there are definitely times when a percentage is the best and you should push the weight in the weight room and, you know, focus on that. But there are also times when the amount of fatigue that you're putting on an athlete is more important than are they getting an 80% of their one rep max for a strength stimulus. You know, like your body fluctuates over the course of a long season. We, We know this. So I think it's a really good analogy for a strength coach to realize the value of a sports science initiative and VBT is more commonplace now, I think, than most other things and GPS is getting there as well, but there is a place for these things and you need to be well-versed in them so that you can do better for your athlete versus taking away from other things that you want to do. And that's where I think a qualified professional or a sports scientist down the line, when, you know, whether you have the resources or not, somebody that can do that for you and give you a system that will provide for you that information, that is where the sports scientist comes into play, for me at least. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, no doubt, Connor. I mean, it's like when you get someone who can actually crunch the data and crunch the numbers for you and understands it, and how it actually relates to strength and conditioning and just performance as a whole. Because you can get a data geek who just can code all day long, run all these stats on it. But if they don't understand the sport they're working with or understand how it actually applies to performance and what needs to get applied to performance from analyzing that data, I think then that just becomes useless. Like, And even then, it's like, all right, if you're just a guy who's crushing numbers behind the scenes and you, you can't have an interaction with an athlete, but you have all these great reports and what is that data, you know, like the data needs to be driven for change and also act, driven for change, actionable, and also kind of have a personal relationship with it, whether it be the stakeholders of coaches, front office members, players, and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause there, there definitely is a gray area there and strength coaches are always i think being pulled in different directions you know you're getting meetings with sport coaches meetings with administration or front office talking to players you know there's huge huge amounts of variability in the athlete that's walking into the room every day and on the surface level may seem like a lot of work but down the line they can take away so much guesswork from your job that it frees up more for you to do on the floor with athletes or on the floor with coaches and explaining these things so that they can put a better product on the field. Without a doubt. And I mean, again, like it's comes from the strength coach fundamentals, uh, level one course, like everything affects everything. Like you need to find what is giving you most of your results and how it's affecting everything and help continue to drive change with that. 
So what's the next step? If, if I'm a young coach hoping to get more into sports science or maybe an older coach that wants to learn more about how I can use technology or data in my day-to-day, like what is the next step for a coach to develop themselves into a sports scientist in your eyes? I think the biggest thing for me is you got to find people, and this is kind of cliche and transition, you got to find people who are definitely smarter than you who you can learn from and take things away from and kind of someone you can kind of fall, have a mentor in a sense, in the terms of sports science. And I just got to think of guys who've influenced me just even, I may not have had actual personal conversations with them, but they've kind of influenced me from afar, whether it be uh, Scott Kuhn, Joel Reinhardt, Zach Higginbop, um, and even just a couple other guys like Keir and Nick DeMarco with some of the stuff they've put in out. Like you got to find guys who are smarter than you, and you understand what they're putting out and want to go learn more because, all right, they post something, whether it be on social media, Twitter, Instagram. For me, like how I started getting more into sports science is like I saw people posting stuff on social media. It's like, all right, started sparking an interest in my brain. Like, all right, I want to go learn more about this. And I want to dive down this rabbit hole and understand the why behind it so I understand the final product of it. And I honestly think part of the reason why I was in sports science too is I still remember, I think it was like, my sophomore year in high school, my dad showed me an article about catapult and sports illustrated. And I was blown away with how cool this was. And I think that's really where I kind of got the start for this. So, I mean, obviously uh, finding a mentor and like some of those guys that I've mentioned, Zach, Scott, Joel are guys who always put out great resources on social media, find a mentor. And I know I've caught, had a couple conversations with Joel and I've never got to directly work with Joel, although I wish I would have. Um, they're, Great guys who always answer your questions. I feel like and have an open door. I haven't have an open open DMs to be able to answer them, answer your questions if you may have someone for them. And then I think you also just got to get reps at it, get hands on reps with it, and understand that like technology isn't the end all be all, but the more well versed you can be, it ultimately helps you kind of be more presentable to jobs. If you're kind of a younger coach getting into the field, saying hey, I understand that, but I mean even then like just in college professional level too. It's like all these organizations and universities are buying technology and it's more so kind of a recruitment pitch where it's like not a lot of people understand these and they're saying like, oh, we just have this. But if you understand the tech and understand how to use it and understand how to drive change, I think that definitely helps as well. I mean, again, like I said, getting reps with it. Like, I think that was the biggest thing for me, like through, again, like, going back to the mentors when I was at Vanderbilt, Tyler Clark, who's their director of all sports science now. Um, and then Ben Schumacher, who's the, at the university of Minnesota, who does a lot of their sports science initiatives with their football program. Like those guys helped me start getting reps young um, through my internships of helping out with catapult. Cause I was just, I don't know why I was just always so fascinated with it. And then even like uh, in the summer of 2021, when I was at university of Tennessee working with their football program, like Rhett Brooks, who's, was running their uh, catapult system at the time, gave me free reign for the summer to run their catapult and he helped me along the way. But it's like getting those reps has allowed me to understand everything and getting to where I am. So, I mean, I think, like you said, and then I think the biggest thing is like, even at Springfield, like now with Dr. MK having her sports tech class, like that's a great development tool for the graduate students at Springfield College to start developing, getting an understanding because tech's not going away. It's only going to get more and it's only going to get, more advanced and it's only going to get deeper and bigger in the field. So I think the more you can understand early and stay ahead of it and actually understand how to use it 
what's important from technology because some of these companies just give you a bunch of metrics that you're like what the hell is this so it's like understanding what's actually important from technology and how can it drive change how can you get stakeholders involved and if i and again another question is like if i add this tech will it make my life easier or will it make my life harder because i have so much day-to-day management with it or is it a quick easy fix into the program Mm -hmm. and even too i think this is a quick side uh just side note of that, even if you're someone who wants to go into sports science and already knows that, one thing that has made my life a lot easier in terms of just day-to-day management is learning how to code. So having everything kind of automated now through R with some of the projects I've been working on, and it's just, it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, I think it, it definitely does. And uh, I'm trying to get into it myself. And I think you know, the more systems you have that are completely automated for yourself, the better off you're going to be down the line because you don't have to worry about, am I getting the exact report that I need or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, like it, it's only going to help you to invest in yourself right now while you have time. You know, I think I always tell young coaches that I meet or people that are trying to get into the field diversify yourself as much as possible, you know, learn as many skills as you can. Uh, Again, another cliche and strength conditioning, but be a sponge, learn as much as you can, and then go play to your strengths. You know, like I really, same as you took a liking to catapult and GPS and I ran with that and I developed my skills with catapult and GPS and I got a lot of reps at it. I was lucky enough to intern for Joel at UMass and he told me everything that he possibly could about how catapult was run and why, you know, it wasn't just like, here, look at this shiny report. It was like, here's how to turn the units on, you know, like it, it starts yeah. there and your understanding can develop as you develop as a coach, you know, it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. But I think the other thing that you can do as a young coach is, Go somewhere like if you're interested in sports science or you're interested in catapult, there's enough out there on social media about what programs are doing where you can, in a way, pick and choose where you want to go. Like if you want to get reps at doing GPS, you probably shouldn't go somewhere where they have a dedicated sports science staff because chances are that guy is good at his job and he's doing things in a systematic way that's completely automated and you won't have to do anything. So that's not a good way to get reps, you know, and you can find out what you need to learn about too. Like there's plenty of resources out there and Mikey's touched on some, uh, if you need to get reps at something, like you need to go seek out reps. You can't just sit by and hope that the knowledge falls into your brain, you know? Uh, you have to go out and search for it. And when you want to get into sports science, like most of it is looking at research, looking at data, what actual metrics are important. There's again, enough out there about GPS metrics and what a sport looks like, you know, that like there are things that you can learn by going out there and looking for it, you know? Uh, But at the end of the day, reps are super important and reaching out to people who are a lot smarter than you is important. You know, once you get out into your professional career, 
you don't want to work for somebody that's exactly the same as you. You know, we all hear it. Once you go to hire your own staff, you don't want to hire somebody that does exactly what you do because then they're not making the staff better at the things that the staff is bad at. You know, you want to hire people that are different from you and that have different interests from you so that they can fill a different role within your staff. You know what I mean? No doubt. I mean, I think like you hit head on the nail, Connor, like find people who are smarter than you and challenge your biases. And I think that's big thing for me is having people around me too who can challenge my bias of what I believe. Cause I think sometimes, and I, this is a personal like fault of mine is like, I strongly believe in certain things where it's like, all right, I'm like, no, you're kind of like, no, you're wrong. Like it's this way or that way. And I think like you can find someone who checks your blind spots for you. And like you were saying, if you were to go hire your own staff, you don't want to hire five of you. Cause that's just going to be <laughs> a, a, not like a bloodbath, but it's kind of going to be like a bloodbath. You're like, all right, we all think the same. Like, what are we doing here? Like, how do we know if this is good? How do we know if this is bad? Or if like you hate yourself that one day, it's like, all right, well, there's five of me sitting around who are type A people who are all high strung over one little thing right now. Yeah. I think, uh, the, the stubborn strength coach isn't exactly unique out there. You know what I mean? There, there's, no. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a tool of the trade to be stuck in your ways. Uh, but, but willing to check yourself and have other people check you, you know, like that's, that's really how you grow. Uh, so you can be stubborn at times and sometimes that's good. And it sure is a good quality to have to be able to be assertive and stick to your guns. But it's also a good quality to have to be able to check yourself and, and surround yourself with people who can openly uh, disagree with you or check you. And that's really like something that you want to seek out in your professional career, in my opinion. Without uh, but any advice for the coaches that don't have any sort of budget, maybe they're at a lower level, but they, they're really interested in getting into this stuff and they want to start small or start somewhere, but they don't have the ability or the budget to take on uh, a Mikey Blaze Jowski in a way. What's your, what's your advice for those coaches? Um, I mean, there's a lot of great free resources too with just in sports science and stuff. But I mean, I think it's just simply going to like, again, having a conversation with your athlete. And I mean, all right, you can get so much from a conversation with an athlete, but I think that goes to, all right, I got to shout out Scott Kuhn again, because that's kind of how I started some of the sports science stuff at Springfield with just getting the wellness questionnaire implemented again. And I think that's such an easy tool that you can have where it's like, you got to work with a hundred athletes. You may not be able to have a individual conversation with them day to day, where it's like, all right, I can have an athlete take 30 seconds to fill out a wellness questionnaire. I can see how they're feeling today, how stressed they are, what's their mood like, how did they sleep last night, how are they feeling and stuff like that. And even just going and getting a session RPE on the guys and getting, start getting training load from that, taking your uh, RPE times it by the duration of the practice and start getting somewhat of a load that way. So, I mean, I think that is start there. I mean, again, there's another lot of free resources on that too. And I think uh, DSM Strength is another guy on YouTube uh, who has a wellness whole video series on how to build different sports science dashboards that you can build if you don't have access to like an athlete management system to store all your data or even to just build that wellness questionnaire. I think that's the easiest start. 
And I think it's one thing that Catapult has done is they've started to make PPS a little bit more readily available at a have a lower cost. I think there's a lot of other PPS companies out who are out there that are kind of more upstart companies trying to get their foot in, um, who have a cost, cost friendly GPS system. And I know like catapult, um, they got their, I think it's, it used to be player tech. It's catapult one. That's what we had. We had player tech when we first up started at Springfield and it was gave us what we needed to get. Yeah. It's just not as fancy as having the vector S seven units and all that other stuff, all that other I guess, jazz that comes with having the higher end stuff. But I mean, it's out there. I mean, even just a simple Tendo unit, if you have those laying around, I know at Springfield, there's, we got them, we had, we had a bunch of them in the back that just needed a couple of batteries that we got for like 20 bucks from somewhere where it's like, all right, it can help us give a little bit of help within the VBT. Yeah. It's not gym wear, but I mean, finding just little ways that you can get incentivized in the athletes and even to just, I mean, it's as simple as getting sprint timers out. Like that's part of the sports science realm. And I know, at Springfield, like when we did fly tens with the football team, like it was just always a big ordeal where guys were always, what's my time? What's my time? Where did I rank today? What's my miles per hour? So, I mean, and I think even with that too, it was like the quantification of everything, whether it's jump mats, sprint timers, posting top speeds and practice from VPS units, high spurts. And I think driving that internal competition for the athletes to want to be the best, but also compete against their peers it's going to help drive change and drive that intent that you want from the training program and i mean there's starting i mean like i mentioned before and i know i'm circling back to it is just starting small with the wellness questionnaire i mean that starts giving you a little bit of an insight of what you can figure out what's going on with your athletes to help drive change if that makes sense makes sense makes sense all right mikey so i want to finish this off with a couple Maybe lightning round questions if you have time. If Absolutely. not, totally cool. All right, let's start this off. Best professional development. What are you doing right now? What do you listen to? Podcasts, books you're reading, anything of that sort. All right, uh, professional development. Obviously, I always got a shout. I'm huge strength coach network junkie. Um, anything they put out, I'm all over. Kind of just that's a great group of guys who run that with Kier, Justin. And everyone else and everyone else who's a part of that. So that's definitely always on the top of my professional development list. Uh, I just bought Daniel Bove's new book about jump monitoring. Um, had to jump on that as soon as possible. No pun intended with the jump. Um, still kind of going through the uh, governing dynamics of the NFL by James Smith. I think that's been a good one to kind of see, especially being at the professional level now, hearing someone's thoughts on it who is not directly in the bullet fire every single day I've seen it. And it's kind of just cool to see that thought process of it. And then um, I had to give a shout out to, to Patrick Ward, who has a podcast and it's a podcast. They call it a screencast of where they do a bunch of different coding stuff. And R has definitely helped me kind of learn R a little bit more and learn R a little bit better to help automate stuff. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with my professional development right now. Biggest lesson you learned or message you took from being a part of the SC Mafia, Springfield College Strength and Conditioning? Biggest lesson. I think the biggest thing is the amount of autonomy you have at Springfield, especially as a GA to program, is top notch compared to nothing else. I mean, it was night. Nice. I ran everything 
as, as you should if you're at Springfield and you have the autonomy as if I was, because you are the head strength coach for those teams, as if I was at a high-level job, like, all right, here's exactly what I would want to do. And I tried to do everything that I possibly could and that I wanted to do. And I feel like I was, I'd say 99, or not 99, I'd say 90% successful implementing everything that I wanted to at Springfield. I think the biggest thing is like at Springfield, it's like you're around great people. And I think it goes back to the relationships and being surrounded by good people. Cause there's been places where I've been where it's like, sometimes you're not around the best people. And when you're around good people who are bought into the same mission and who are living for others and developing others for the right reasons, I think that's what makes it successful. And you always just want to be surrounded by good people who are on the same mission, living for others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can the people find you if they want to get in touch with you, if they have questions or if they just want to see what you're doing, what are the best places to get in touch with you? On Instagram, it's at coach Blazjowski. I think it's actually under coach underscore Blazjowski. And the same thing on Twitter. I think it's coach underscore Blazjowski SC and then LinkedIn at Michael Blazjowski. And then my email is coach Blazjowski at gmail.com. If you have any questions or ever want to connect with anything, I mean, I'm always open to talk shop, talk about anything, answer any questions. I mean, it's what I love to do. So anyone wants to reach out, be my guest. Yeah. And I'll second that reach out, contact people that you don't think want to talk to you. I promise you they do, uh, or they should want to talk to you. So the, the best way to learn strength conditioning is to, to just reach out to people and start a conversation. All right. But I want to thank Mikey for being on the podcast today. Just, a great start to the SC Mafia podcast and hope to get more great conversations like this going in the near future. But I want to thank Mikey for, for his time and uh, please reach out if you have any questions and give us some feedback on how you think the podcast went. All right. See you next Appreciate time. Appreciate you having me on Connor. All right, everybody, that is going to conclude episode one of the SC Mafia strength and conditioning coaches podcast. Please reach out if you have any feedback or if you heard this episode and you want to get involved. We're always looking for episode participants for the future, so you can email me at scmafiapodcast at gmail.com or click the link in my Instagram bio at Connor underscore Rider 33 or the SC Strength and Conditioning page at SC underscore Strength. Got some great things coming up, so follow us on Instagram for updates or follow the podcast on your streaming platform of choice. Thanks for listening and see you next time.